that is the spirit of sonship that Paul's talking about. Not just the objective truth of, of adoption, but that deep experience of the love of a father who absolutely adores you and considers you precious. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. And this morning we're going to be looking at a passage in Galatians. We've been talking in Galatians about freedom, that the gospel brings freedom. The first week we saw how uh, the gospel frees us from trying to seek from trying to seek our value in the approval of other people, how we are approved by God himself. Second week, we talked about uh, being set free from hypocrisy. And we all know that we are hypocritical. None of us fully live up to what God says. But how God sets us free, he forgives us, and he empowers us. We have the living Christ in us. And today we're going to move to another level. Today we're going to talk about freedom from slavery. Freedom from slavery. And how Christ frees us from being in bondage as slaves to being sons and daughters who are deeply loved. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to start with the object. I'm going to start with your minds. We're going to go there first. And we're going to go, to go to our minds. We're going to talk about the objective side of sonship. What does that mean? The objective side. And that's where adoption fits in. And then we're going to look at how our adoption is possible. It's only possible through the redemptive work of Jesus. But then I'm going to bring you down to a deeper level. I'm going to move from your head to your heart. I'm going to move from your head to your heart. There's the objective sonship, but there also is this intensely personal, intimate relationship that we have with God. He loves us. As a father loves his children. Now I want to show it to you. Galatians chapter 3, as we begin at verse 26. This is God's word. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. This is God's word. Now, let me start with our minds. Let me start with the objective side of things. And that's exactly what verse 26 is. Look at the verse there with me for a moment. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, there's this clear statement of fact. You're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, when Paul writes this, he uses a, a term that was a legal term that was found in first century Rome. It was a legal term, a legal term, that referred to the son as the adopted son. It had to do with a legal, a legal transaction that made you a part of a family that made you a son. We have been adopted by God, legal transaction. We are sons, we are daughters, and we have all of the rights and privileges. Listen, all of the rights and privileges of sonship. Now stop and think about this for a Think of the implications of this for a minute. We were made members of his family and all of the rights and privileges, all of the rights and privileges of being a son or daughter were given to us. His love, his provision, his protection. And what I'm saying to you this morning, it's objective. This is something that you can claim. You may not always feel this, and I guarantee you, you don't. There are times you don't feel this way. You don't feel that closeness to your Father in heaven. But nonetheless, you are. It's a statement of fact. You're his and you can claim that truth. John understood it. When John wrote his first epistle, the third verse, John is so taken with this idea. He says, how great is the love that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should become the children of God. And that's who we are. And I'm telling you this morning, you ought to be taken with this. We're the objects of his love. We're his children and we're loved. Fact. Now, what makes that adoption possible? That's where Paul goes next. What makes it possible? What is the basis of this adoption? What is the basis of our sonship? And you find that in verse 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why did he send him? At that precise moment in history, all of history had waited to this point. At that precise moment of history, God broke into this world in the person of his son. And why did Jesus come? Here it is. To redeem those under law. Why? 
that we might receive the full rights of sons. Why did Jesus come? To redeem us. Why? So that we would have the full rights of sons. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. He came to redeem us who were under the law. Now I want you to look at that little phrase there for a minute. Because you see he's using imagery of slavery as well here. We were under the law. We were under the law. And I've tried to show you that when you look at the law, what, one thing that the law does, let, look, let, just so we're very clear here, there are all kinds of laws in Scripture. Let's go to the ten, that we call the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. Look, no matter how hard we try, we could never fully, 100% of the time, ever keep all Ten Commandments, all of the time, every day, impossible. Right? So what does this mean? It means that the law condemns us because we don't keep it. And Christ, therefore, came to remove us from our bondage. What bondage? First of all, bondage to sin. He set us free from that. He came to free us. He came to set us free from sin, from the guilt of sin. But he also came to set us free from our slavery to the law. Now let me tell you what I'm saying here. If we turn to the law as a means of salvation, we become slaves. Let me say it again. If we turn to the law as a means of salvation, we become slaves. Now, let me, before you go too quick with, too quick with this, let me, let me tell you, you do understand that that's what every other religion in the world teaches and that the vast majority of people, and probably some here this morning, still believe. Slavery to the law as a means of salvation. And let me tell you what the outcomes of that. So here's the way it works out. So here are the people who they're they see it and they're still seeking to find God's favor. They're trying so hard because they want to be loved. They want to be accepted. And they're trying so hard, really, really hard to keep the commandments and live moral lives and do these things. But they see the sin in their lives and they get enslaved to the desperation of it that they can never get set free from the guilt of it. Look, these are, the, these are the people who are those defeated people because you live under this oppression of your guilt. You never, I don't care how hard you try, how much you work at it, how good you try to be, and you do, do, do work, work, work. But there's still this oppressiveness that's over you. There's this guilt and you live with these regrets and you look back in your past and you see these deep regrets and you see these things that you've done or you look at your thought life or you look at, oh, you could go, all, all those things keep coming back up and you're miserable. Here's the other side of somebody who's in bondage. It's not so much to the oppressive nature of it, but here's the person on the other side who becomes a slave to it who become a slave to his or her pride in self-righteousness. Let me turn it this way. These are the people who show up on Sunday mornings 
in their best. They look great. They show up on Sunday mornings, and they have that holier-than-thou attitude. And they look around, and they say, hmm, I wonder what they're doing here. Huh. You know about them? I'm not like them. You see? I'm a righteous person. I'm a good person. You know, C.S. Lewis, it, at the end of, of um, Mere Christianity, he talks about nice people. He said they're the hardest people in the world to reach because they're so nice. These are the people who have it, look like they have it all together and they're religious and they're moral. But they're slaves to that. And they become slaves to their pride because it's all about what they've done to earn it. You see what I'm saying? Self-righteousness. It's not until God breaks us and frees us from the law. And no one apart from Jesus Christ has ever kept the law in all of its entirety. And therefore... Paul is saying Jesus Christ came to redeem those under the law. Those who are in their misery because they can never get there and those who are living in their pride because they think they are there when they aren't there. Jesus came to redeem us. And how did he go about this work? I dealt with it last week. And it's back in the third chapter. An amazing verse that said Christ redeemed us from the law by becoming a curse for us. Do you remember this last week? He became a curse for us. And that word curse meant separated. The, the word curse meant you, he was cut off. Look, here's what I said to you last week about that. When it says he redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse. Here's what I told you. The curse that Jesus bore on Calvary was not his pierced hands and feet. It was the hole in his heart when his father turned his back on him and cut him off. And there on the cross would Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment on the cross, if you weren't here last week, you really need to go listen to that sermon because I unpacked that. He came to redeem us and the way that he redeemed us from the curse of the law was by becoming the curse for us and that my friends is the basis of our adoption and the basis of our salvation it is not our works it is what Jesus has done for us and so Paul wants to get this clear that's the basis now but there's more here there's more here. Now this is where I want to say, remember I told you we're going to start the head. Objective, sonship, adoption, all of that. But now we're going to come to another level. Because we're looking at something different here. We're looking at a different matter here. Look at verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba Father now this is a different matter 
It's a different work from the sun. And since I'm getting a little technical here, I'm saying here was the objective work of the sun. The sun came. He became a curse for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He set us free. On the basis of that, God has adopted us. It's objective. But now what Paul is doing, he's taking you to another level. He says, because you are sons, there's the objective sonship. But now we're moving somewhere else. We're moving into the area of experience. We're now moving into this something that is very personal and something that's very relational and something very experiential. Look, there are so many people who never get from here. The gospel never gets from here to here. One of the things about us Presbyterians, we educate people well. We educate people well. And we can give you a lot of head knowledge. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the deep experience of a relationship with your Father in Heaven who adores you. follow it it's not about what is up here it's about what's here that's what he's saying here he's saying he sent the spirit of his son into the hearts to call out now what is he talking about here to call out he sends the spirit of his son into our hearts this intensely personal, the Spirit comes to live within me, the Spirit dwells in me, the Spirit... And I will tell you this, revival and renewal will never come without the work of the Spirit. That's why we've got to pray for the Spirit to work. Spirit comes into our heart. Now, what was his task? What was his? What is the Spirit's task? The Son's task was to accomplish salvation, right? What is the Spirit's task? The Spirit's task is to apply what Christ accomplished. And so, what does? What do we have here? What we have here is this picture of regeneration. It's a picture of what it is to be born again. When the Spirit, when God sends His Spirit into our hearts to cry out. And what does He cry out? Abba, Father. Not God, God. No. Abba, Father. The most intimate term the closest thing we could have to it would be daddy. See it? The spirit comes into our hearts and all of a sudden we begin to see God with new eyes. We sang about his holiness and there he is in all of his holiness. But what the spirit does is shows us his holiness but he brings his holiness down to us and brings it deep down in our hearts and brings his love. 
Daddy, Daddy. See it? Intensely personal. What is the Spirit's job? The Spirit's job is to make us feel like sons and daughters. Sometimes we get a little afraid of that word, don't we, feel? But that's what he does. He brings the reality into our hearts and he gives us, he cries out, Abba, Father. He opens our hearts to know and to experience the love of our Heavenly Father. He makes it real. He makes it real. That we would get this. Oh, that we would see this. Oh, that this would change us. My earthly father loved me to a fault, seriously. I was 17 years old, and it was Christmas. And my dad had been pretty much bedridden for a period of time. And he couldn't go out and buy me a Christmas present. And so he wrote me a card, and he had saved up some money. And he stuck it in this card, and he gave me this card on Christmas morning. I've never shared the content of this publicly until 8.30 this morning. I'm going to share it again with you because it so speaks to what I'm trying to say to you this morning. My dad gave me that card, and this is what it said. Dear precious boy, this is the first time in 17 years that I, I haven't had something special that you wanted for Christmas, and I don't feel so good about it. But I've been putting a little aside for a while to get you something. So I'm enclosing it with this card so you can get the thing you want most, and I hope you enjoy it. I know you noticed how I started this. It seems silly, but that is what you've always been to me and always will. Regardless of how old you are and how big in the world you become, you will always be my precious boy. I love, respect, honor, believe in, adore, and even worship you. Our relationship has been more than a father and a son, but also pal and friend. I know that you're growing up, but I hope you try to understand this old man's feelings. I love you, your dad. I'm going to tell you, I cherished. There was nothing he could have ever bought me that was a greater treasure than that note. Do you understand, and I understand, that not everybody has a relationship with their father like I had with mine. I know that's not always the case. But I'm going to tell you something. You have a father in heaven 
who loves you immensely. Who loves you immensely. In spite of all your failures, you know, I look back on that time and I remember I was 17 years old and I was dating the girl who would become my wife in just a couple of years. And I was pulling away from my father. But I'm going to tell you something. Even when I was pulling away from him, it never changed his love. There's some of you this morning who may be pulling away from your father in heaven. Come home. He loves you. There's some of you here this morning, you don't feel that love. You're in relationships that aren't healthy relationships where you don't have that love. Do, do you see what the spirit of sonship is? The spirit of sonship is, but you have a father in heaven. Oh, he adores you. I look at these children down here. They're mine. And I tell you, I light up when they walk in. When you choose to come into the presence of your Father in prayer, in meditation, He delights. That is the spirit of sonship that Paul's talking about. Not just the objective truth of, of adoption, but that deep experience of the love of a father who absolutely adores you and considers you precious. And I'm going to tell you something. When you get this, it's going to change your life. When you understand this, it's going to change your life it's going to free you. It's going to free you from the slavery of the law. And Paul concludes his last statement. And this is what he says. So, verse 7, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son... God has also made you an heir. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you know us inside and out. You not only know our actions, but you know our thoughts, the intentions of our hearts, our motivations. Speak to us this morning, God, and reassure us that you indeed are Heavenly Father and you love us. Even in the quietness of this moment, God, I pray that we would hear that still voice of the Spirit crying out in us, Have a Father. 
may we hear your voice say, I love you and I'm with you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.